We all know nursing can be stressful. Finding your next travel nursing assignment shouldn't be. That's why we're thrilled to be sponsored by Civility Healthcare, a travel nurse agency that's all about trust and transparency. With their comprehensive search tool and instant online rates, they make finding your next job quick and simple so that you can confidently take the next step in your career. Check them out on Instagram at Stability Healthcare or at www.stabilityhealthcare.com to learn more. Welcome back to Happy Hour with Operation Happy Nurse. This week on Mental Health Matters, we are joined by Riley Christian. You may know him as part of the Bachelor franchise, but he also practices as a lawyer owning his own law firm. And on top of all of that, he is an amazing advocate for mental health. Thank you, Riley, for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. Um, you taking the time. You know, this is a topic that I am extremely uh, interested in and care about. So I'm just happy to be here. So. Where did your mental health journey begin, and was there a specific incident that sparked that passion for you? Very big question. It is a very big question, right? Because I think throughout our lives, there are always incidents where, you know, mental health, there are mental health concerns, even if you're unaware, you know, that they're there, uh, starting from a very early age. But if I had to pinpoint something in my life where I really started to pay attention to it, I was 22, no, I was 21 to 22 years old. I was in college. I remember I was down in Finley, Ohio. Um, and this was the first time that, to be honest, that I really had to learn how to deal with pain completely on my own, you know, mental stress. I was down uh, in college and I was having a situation, um, a family situation with my father. We had fallen out. Um, and there were some things that you know, basically it just come to light for me um, at 21, 22. And I knew that, you know, essentially things would never be the same. Like they're just, just the way it is. You can't go back to the way things were. You know too much now. And so during that time, I really just had to figure out, you know, okay, what am I going to do here? You can't just sit here and, you know, do nothing. You can't just be stagnant. You know, you got to go to class. You got to do all these things. But at the time, I couldn't, I really, I really couldn't move. I didn't know, you know, how to do it. But then, you know, as a little bit of time went on when I was in my dorm room, it, it actually wasn't even a dorm room, it was an apartment. I was in that apartment. It was me, my twin air mattress, and just that's it. No couch, no nothing, barely any food in there. But I'm like, okay, first thing I have to do in order to get out of this headspace is acknowledge how I truly feel. That's first step for me, right? How do you truly feel about this situation? Uh, I had a situation. My father was the best friend I had for up to that point. Best friend I had, no question. Single parent household. I grew up, you know, with him. Um, and so I'm like, I have to acknowledge how I feel in this moment. Am I angry, you know, or is it really sadness? But you got to be true, you know, to what it is. And of course, there's frustration, but you have to really, really think about it. And then I asked myself. Um, why did I make the decisions that I made to get, you know, in this space? And I'm doing all these things, you know, to try to calm myself down. Because at the end of the day, I was kind of freaking out. Uh, not even going to lie, I just was. And I'm like, okay, what did you do? And were these things, were they, were they reasonable? Like, you know, was there something else you could have done or should have done? Um, but you know why you make these decisions. You know why you went off on your own and decided to do the things that you did. But a very big piece is to fi- try to figure out why they did, or he did, my father in this case, what he did. Why did he made this, make the decisions that he made 
And don't try to look at it from the perspective of like, you're a bad person or you did this and I'm angry at you. And why, how could you? No, like truly try to understand, put yourself in their shoes and understand why they did what they did and where they come from. Even if you truly believe what he did was unreasonable. Even it doesn't matter at the end of the day. We're talking about family. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You got to figure it out. That's exactly what I did. I started to ask more questions. I didn't talk to him, but I, I called my mother, which I, who at the time I didn't even have a relationship with. I didn't have a relationship with her at all. Um, and so I called her um, and I would ask her question. I called, you know, some cousins, some aunts. I'm really trying to figure out, you know, why my father is. He's from the east side of Detroit. Just give you a little bit of background. You know, he's from the east side of Detroit, born and raised. And he had a just very prideful thing with just about being from Detroit. He's a hardworking guy. Um, you know, but that inner city life and the things that he had been through, the things that I found out, it really, to be on, in my opinion, did a number on him. I don't know if he would admit, admit something like that, but I truly believe that it did. And so he was just a very tough guy. He was a very, um, I don't want to say he was a militant guy. But he was just a very strict, stern son of a gun. <laughs> just like who he was, you know? And eventually, I had made peace with the type of man he was, you know? But this was that perfect opportunity, I guess, once I started to go through all of these things, this was that perfect opportunity to try to mend, you know, other relationships. And it calmed me down, I truly, and I started to realize, actually, I thought I was by myself, but I really wasn't. See, because when I told you, like, I called my mother. I called my mother after she had called me. Uh, it had been several years since we had, you know, spoken. I hadn't, I was 14, I think, the last time I spent the night at her place. You know, it was quite a bit. It's pretty heavy stuff. Um, and not to get too deep here, because I know this is the first question, and I'm not trying to, but this is just, um, but this is what it is. But at that time, I'm like, all right, this is what you got to, like, this is what you're doing. You're Filling in the missing pieces that you didn't have, you know, when you were you know, 12, 13, 14, and even you know, younger than that. And, and this was like the first time I'm really getting all of this new information. To, so it's actually just to be a little bit more background on it. You know, I said I grew up in a single parent household. I did. Um, I was living full time with my dad. I think I was around 13 to 14. And before that, it was like six months. Uh, mom, six months, dad, whatever judge agreed to that not a good idea uh but it is what it is it's a situation and so when i got to be about 14 and i was over there um you know it was really no mom time uh it just wasn't gonna happen that's how difficult things were at the time um but you know and i believed what i believed as a, as a teenager yet kids are young and impressionable uh, it's just the way it is but once i got you know older you you're more out, you ask more questions, right? You see what you see. Um, you start to realize, like, okay, this is, I hear you saying one thing, but I'm seeing something else. And you start to realize, like, you can distinguish right from wrong, all that stuff. But to fast forward again, it was um, now I'm back and I'm able to fill in, you know, these missing pieces and I'm, and I'm finding out things. I'm like, wait, you aren't really, you know, by yourself. And my mother reached out to me um, initially, randomly. I think she had figured out that, you know, me and my father were having issues and she tried, you know, just to get back in my life. And back then I was like, oh, it was just a, 
don't really know you, you know, <laughs> like, what is, like, what's going on? Um, but this is just the stubborn, you know, me still talking. And I think it was a little, I wasn't very you know, frustrated with that, but you know, it was what it was. And, you know, she came back. We, we had our, our conversations and, you know, she was able to fill in like some of those pieces, you know, with my father too. And that really just helped my mental. It was like, all right, now you understand kind of fully why, you know, these situations are happening, why he moved the way he moved, shouldn't have done it, way it is. But you can be at peace with that. And now you can try to figure out, for one, how to not be that same type of person. And two, how to prevent others from doing the same thing when it starts very early you know, in their lives. So that's where it was for me. It's where it started. 21 in the dorm room or in, the, in an apartment in Finley, Ohio. It is weird sometimes how, like, I'm kind of at that point, too, in my life where I was blessed with great family members, if they're out there listening. But um, you kind of start to see how your parents were. Because my parents divorced when I was younger, and I had – and I was only three. And at that time, of course, I didn't know what was going on. But as I grew up, everyone was like, oh, I'm so sorry about that. That must have been hard for you. And I'm like, I don't know. But as I got older, I kind of was realizing I was having – issues with relationships early on and just like trust issues and all these things that I didn't realize probably stemmed from that. And it's like you said, it's, I'm proud of you that you were able to kind of like realize what was happening. And it's interesting too, what you said about feelings of anger and sadness you were having from the falling out, because I think a lot of people assume that, which just sounds like grief to me because you're losing something, you're losing somebody. But a lot of people think that grief can only happen in death, I think for the most part. And, and I think it can also happen with those relationships that are important to you when you feel like there's been a disconnect or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, these type of situations, um, you know, dealing with pain um, and something like this, if there's anybody out there, you know, that can relate to it, it's like there, these, these type of situations are lose lose. You know, there is no, okay, I'm going to be better than you one day and this and that, and I'm going to feel good. It's really, at least that's not that way for me. You know, this is family we're talking about. If I don't speak to you anymore, that's not a victory. <laughs> you know, no matter what I do in my life, no matter how great, you know, I, or successful I can be or however good I can be as a father to my children, there's that is still no victory. So it's just like for anybody out there that had had this situation, just know, like, there are other people out there like you that are going through this and they are still able to get through, you know, their day by day things um, and still have good, successful lives and cannot be jaded when it's over. And that is the thing. Like, I really want people to know that because people come from broken homes all the time. And sometimes they get frustrated. They're like, well, I didn't have this. And this is why and this is bull and blah. And then I'm like, I, I understand. And I, I'm, I'm no, I'm not an exception. I get frustrated too sometimes. But just know, like, you can still be, you know, great. And there are other people out there going through a similar situation. You are not alone. So just kind of be, you know, to kind of take some comfort in that. If there needs to be had, take some comfort in that and knowing that, hey, things are okay. And other people around me have this and they are making it and survive. So since you mentioned that you weren't close to your mother at the time, what kind of support did you have at the time since I felt like my mental health has really been dependent on the support that I had 
you know, at that time. So I'm curious to know, like, were you close to like your aunts and uncles or you, you know, established a great relationships with friends at the dorm or not the dorms. I'm sorry. You were at the apartment, but like, you know, in your school. Yeah, no, at that time, at that time I was on the baseball team and I have developed some very good friendships with some of the baseball players on the team. Um, and they really just looked out. They kind of understood, you know, my situation and they saw that I was, uh, that I was struggling and, you know, and they just wanted to offer some support. I was, you know, in school, no cell phone, no food in the fridge, you know, all of this type of stuff. And it's like, well, how are you getting around? How do you communicate? No car, this and that and the third. They're like, okay, well, I'll look out for you. So I had some key people just really, really kind of just made sure I had some food, and, you know, looked out. I remember when <laughs> I would, we were on a baseball team and like, you know, in college, you got parties all the time. And when there would be a party and they couldn't find where I was, they figured, you know, I was just walking around the city somewhere and I was probably going to someone else's house. So what they would do is they would leave little like notes, sticky notes on the door. Like, and when I got there, it was like, hey, Riley, we're at such and such and such place. Head over there. So then I would just walk like, you know, over there. Like these were, I had great people and friends at the time. It was, it was pretty amazing. I'm like, and I'm, those people are still in my life, you know, today. They still support me. I support them. Uh, so yeah, during that time, it, it was really, you know, friends on a baseball team. and then. My baseball coach, uh, Troy Berry, who unfortunately passed away while actually I was, you know, filming um, uh, Bachelor in Paradise. I didn't find out until I got, you know, my phone back um, after everything. I looked at it. Yeah, it was not. A, it was it was like I was in a celebratory moment and then I saw that and it was kind of like, OK, that kind of sucked the life out of me a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he was having his issues. Um, so, uh, you know, my condolences came to his family. You're also part of the Bachelor franchise. What was your initial experience like for you? And how did that uh, life change affect you? Oh, wow. Um, what about that, the, the Bachelor experience, for one, it was a great experience. I got to say that hey, everybody from, you know, producers to cast to everybody. I mean, it was great. I actually learned quite a bit about myself throughout the process. Um, I think uh, I'm a pretty private guy. I Normally, I just am not into you know, sharing stories or, you know, something, anything that's going to be like too public. Um, and so when I told, you know, my friends, my family, you know, mom, uh, Hey, you know, I just got cast to be on, you know, the bachelor ranch. She was like, what you? And I was like, yeah, me was like, yeah, mom, <laughs> you know? Uh, but it was, uh, I mean, it was just, it was, it was a really good experience. And, and you go on the show to, uh, you know, find love and, you know, it was an amazing time in my life and I wouldn't trade it uh, for anything, you know, at all. So I learned that I can fall in love relatively quickly, you know, uh, things that I didn't know, you know, that could happen. You can build a connection so quickly. But yeah, and that that's a good thing. I was like me being able to fall in love with somebody, you know, building something. I love everything about this experience. How did your support system outside of that, like, did they change at all your friends or family towards you? Because they think, oh, now he's not famous or something. Like, did you feel a difference in your life at all? And how was that on your mental health, if any? My friends and family, did they treat me any differently? No, they were excited for me. Um, they were excited for me. I think there were some points in there that um, they didn't know, like some people didn't know about me um, because, you know, there were some emotional times. Um and when they found it out, it was just like, oh, you know, kind of like, wow. Um, um, but I think overall, 
like my close people, they were, you know, supportive and even killed with me the entire time. Um, in terms of the impact it had on me, on my mental health. Yeah, it had an impact on my mental health. It did. It's a different life. Um, you know, one day you're just Joe Schmo in your law office. The next day, millions of people are looking at you, um, you know, try to fall in love and open up and be vulnerable in front of everybody. Um, there were some things that I talked about, um, you know, and just just the whole thing, you know, family stuff. I talked about some of the family stuff that I shared with you all here. Um, I think I went into more detail here. Um, you know, it was a, a, a name change I went through during that whole time. Um, so it was just like all of this was kind of spilling out and it was kind of it was good for me because these were things that I had never really talked about in the open before. Um, but you start to realize like, okay, wait, everybody, everybody has an opinion, you know? So now that you're exposed to this new life and as great as it may seem, you have to now worry about, you know, the random people, um, anywhere and everywhere commenting on your life based off of what they, they've seen on the television show. And I, I mean, I don't get upset about it because I mean, that's part of, that's part of it. You know, you go on there, you try to find love. It's fun. You can fall in love and you share your story and all this type of stuff. And then people get to judge and comment and do whatever. But at the same time, even though like, you know, you, you still see it. It's still about you. So it can still get to you at times if you don't, uh, if you're not careful. So, you have to kind of protect yourself. I mean, the in terms of like social media and stuff like that, you know, the black button can become your best friend. Uh, it's it's mine. I'm I'm very quick with the trigger on that and just click click. I mean, some stuff is at the end of the day. It's like, well, I can't just have. Yeah, you got you got to put them up. You got to put them up. Um, yeah, um, because some people just want to hurt you simply because they want to. They don't know you or anything like that. And it's like, okay, you just don't have time for it. But I never block a person that just has their opinion and it's not rude or anything like that. Even if I disagree, I'm not rude. That's fine. Like, you know, state your case. Um, but yeah, you just got to put up some, some boundaries and then learn to avoid the negativity and don't engage in the negativity. Um, you know, silence, silence speaks, speaks volumes. So just, you know, carry on, uh, continue to try to be as good of a person as you can be, um, throughout the, the time. And, just keep it moving but overall it was a great experience so have you always been like quick to block the negativity and you know hit that block button or did you learn that through like hardships over time i learned that after strictly just going through the show um i was never really a blocker uh until that because there was just there's just a lot of, of different opinions and you just deal with it and at first i was like nope this is the gig you just deal with it and then i was like wait this is my mental health we're talking about. And these are people that I don't know. They don't know me. So yeah, just click it. It was just something, but it was something that I picked up in the past you know, two years, uh, 2020, I believe is when I was first on the show. So. I feel like it's something really easy or it sounds easy, but it's actually pretty hard. Like I think in the last year or two, I had trouble like trying to block someone as well. Like I was on the edge, like, should I block them? I'm like worrying about how they're going to feel. And I'm like, but they're literally negatively affecting my mental health, like every day by their negative comments that they put, you know, I get like, they, like every, no matter what I say, like, Oh, I got this happening for me. And they're like, Oh, what about that? And I'm like, Oh, dang. Like, you know, you really messed my, like my mood. 
for the day. And it's like, no matter what I do, they come back, come back with negative comments and it really affects me negatively. And after a while, I'm like, you know what? I really have to put a stop to it. And I block them. And then they contacted me like, Hey, what happened? Why did you block me? I'm like, why do you even want to talk to me? You know, like you don't have nothing positive to like give to me, you know, or bring to my life. But I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. It's just a hard thing that I feel like that we have to learn to do. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's very, very difficult when you have to block people that you know, you have personal relationships with or something like that. Cause you said they reached out to you, contacted you. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I, I've struggled with that. Right. I don't like to block people that I know, but at the same time, it's like, well, you're, what you're doing is damaging. Um, and even if you don't realize it, even if it's a small joke, you don't realize that your small joke is just one of several hundred thousand to a million just coming in just coming it's like all right like and if i can block the random people that i don't know i can do it to you too now when they sometimes actually some people do reach out to me like if i know them and i have to shut them off for a second they'll ask and you know i do depending on my headspace i, I eventually do tell them you know why i did it. like hey this is what's going on you gotta know right now you just got i just need you to chill for just a second until i get my my, my mental back right and get through this and then we can keep going like, but at the end of the day, you know, any disrespect is really not tolerated this way. Once you just get disrespectful, it's like, okay, I can't do anything, but, but block you. <laughs> That's all I can do. <laughs> well, my thing is this, like, some people just don't deserve access to you. That is what it is. They just don't deserve access to you. They, you, they had the privilege to have it. You know, you, they can speak their minds, they can argue, but once you get disrespectful, it's like, Okay, now you, you know the privilege is revoked, and, that, and they may not even care. Fine, but as long as I'm good mentally, yeah, exactly. And I feel like with the pandemic and like you said, around like 2020 is when all the keyboard warriors came out, and they're like, "Well, now I'm always at my computer, so I'm just gonna be mean because I'm here." And it's like, why? Yes, nonstop, just going, going, exactly. Get them up out of here. So yeah, that's that was it. So you also have your own law firm, Christian Law PC. What type of stressors come along with that and being uh, an attorney? Oh, stressors come along with being an attorney. Well, starting your own law firm, any I think any business, whether it's a law firm or whatever, is always stressful because you know you're trying to figure out how to maintain it, um, um, make it a solid business so it can be sustainable, and then you and, and you also want to help some people. In my case, I think the stressors for me is at the end of the day, these are other people's real life problems and they are in my hands and they are they can be very serious problems you know it can be you know a very small problem but at the end of the day they're stressed out about it and you know we have our own problems as individuals uh, so then when you take on something heavy it's like okay you have to do it but but there's a reason why like how am I even trying to say this I don't want to say that there's a reason why I do it um, I mean there is but I open up a family law practice Right. And I opened up a family law practice based really based off of the stuff that, you know, I, I talked to you about. I family law was not an area of, of, of law that I liked. Um, it's it's very emotional. Um, I actually tried to help someone my very first uh, year when I was practicing in 2017. I went into the courthouse just to try to offer some help. And the first thing I saw was who I believe was a mother in there, you know, crying on a bench and I had nothing. I had to just turn around and walk out. It was just too emotional for me. I couldn't do it. Um, you know, and some of some years later now, 2022, after going through, you know, 
things that I've gone through. And now I'm just more seasoned, you know, attorney. I'm like, I'm ready to do this again. So now I'm walking back into it. And you just know, like, there are, I try to tell myself, based on the things in my life experiences and the things that I've been through, um, if someone like myself is not willing to go in there and at least try to protect the children that are involved in these custody cases, then who the hell else is going to do it? Who else is, I mean, you know, you know what it's about. You've gone through it. You now have all of the, the necessary tools and the resources and knowledge to be able to go in there and do something about it. So what are you waiting for? You know, and that's kind of where I am. And it's like, okay, even though it's a big fear of mine, um, somebody's got to do it. And I guess that guy's me. That's just the way it is. And I don't know, it, like, not to be, you know, corny or cliche or something like that, but it's just like at the end of the day, man, somebody's just got to freaking do it. There you are. Yeah, that's why I do not work in pediatrics. Because <laughs> once it involves <laughs> kids, I'm like, no, 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 I cannot. Yeah, yeah. Not always roses, you know? It takes a big person. I know. Yeah. So do you find yourself taking these cases home with you emotionally? For nurses, I know for me, like when I get off work, I kind of sit in my car and decompress before I head home because that's a practice I've learned to not take things home with me emotionally. Do you find that um, as a problem for you or have you quickly learned ways of dealing with that? I've learned how to deal with it. It's um, compartmentalization becomes key. Uh, you have to be able to separate work from your personal life. You can't allow it to those stresses to then spill over uh, into what you're doing at home. Um, it's at the end of the day, if I'm going to do this and try to have a you know family of my own one day, that's something I just have to master. That's just the way it is. Um, and so, yeah, I go, I do my job and I try to put it you know in this box over here. And then when work is over, I come back and I'm like, man, okay, that was a difficult situation. But it's, it's, it's a fine line, too, though, because if you treat it too much, just like a job, then you, just, you remove the human element, you know, and you have to be able to. I like I like to be able to connect with my clients um, and understand exactly what they're going through. That way I can know, you know, exactly how to help them. And to do that, you really have to try to understand and put yourself in their shoes. And that's where you can kind of get lost in the sauce a little bit if you're not careful. So it's just like, OK, but then you're like, you also realize, like, this is still not you um you're helping remember that and don't fall too much into it to where it disrupts everything else that you're doing in your life so it's a fine line um but i do compartmentalize those things and i've been pretty successful at all these i think so i think that's the hardest part is finding that balance because i recently started therapy and She's like, maybe you need, like, that's why I started it. Cause I wanted to talk about things that I was over compartmentalizing, I think with work and personal life and everything else. And so it's hard. I don't know if you struggle with this as well, but trying to find that balance of being, I guess, vulnerable or being available and approachable, but also understanding that you don't need to talk about everything all the time. And it's okay to keep some of those emotions in, in order to just keep going about your day. So I don't know if you struggle with that, but like, where's that line for you? Do you or do you just keep everything in? <laughs> You're just ready to explode. <laughs> I'm just wondering how you find that balance between healthy compartmentalizing, I guess. Not calling you out, just saying that I, I struggle with that, trying to find the balance of being vulnerable enough to let people in, but also not putting everything out there to overwhelm everybody and myself as well. First thing I'll say, it's hard. 
right? It just is. You know, I'm not Superman. I am not even going to try to sit here in front like, oh, no, I got it. Nope. That is not the case. Sometimes these things can just weigh heavy. They just do. How do I find that healthy balance, I guess? I guess when it gets to be too much, I start to use some of the mental health techniques that I have. Sometimes it's, it's just too difficult to separate too. There's no like, you know, process or fine line where I can just be like, hey, okay, this is what I'm going to point to. And if I just stay over here a little bit, that didn't work. So you have to come back. All right, what are you going to do? This was a rough day. Um, gym, go exercise, you know, burn some of that off. Meditation, prayer, three things that I do. Um, if I find myself in a spot where it's just that difficult, it's very, very hard. And then once I'm done with those things, I'm able to kind of just move on with my day um, in a sense. I mean, it just it's kind of just puts me at peace, especially after the meditation and the prayer. It puts me at peace and I'm able to go on until I have to, you know, dive back into it again. Now, when you meditate, are you doing it in the morning or is it multiple times throughout the day or at night? Multiple times throughout the day. I'll get up in the morning. I get up at 5 a.m. I'll go to the gym. I'll get back. Um, I'll feed my dog. Take him out on the walk. And then I'll sit down and then I'll do a uh, five-minute meditation and then prayer. And then as the day goes on, work. And then I don't even have like a time. Sometime in the afternoon, I don't like time it. But if I'm feeling like I'm stressed or if I need a break, I walk my dog, come back in, do my meditation, another five minutes, get back to it. That's it. And then I'll pray before I go to sleep, you know, just because those are the things that keeps me, they keep me at peace. So do you use like a meditation app or like YouTube meditation uh, videos or what, what do you use? What kind of uh, resources? No, I, I sit down and be quiet. That's all. I sit down, I'll be quiet and I breathe. I in and out. It's okay. You can tell yourself things. Like, it's okay. Cause it's like sometimes, cause Sometimes the cases can get heavy and then you start to think about because the reason why I got into it. I'm like, okay, I'm getting into it to help people based off my experience. And now I'm relating it to my experience. And now it's okay. Relax. You've gotten through this experience on your own as, you know, as a child and all this type of stuff. Now you're helping people. You're doing it for good reason. It's fine. Breathe. You know, and I just do that over and over and over. And there may be some things that that I say to myself, you know. As it's going, and that's it. Because there actually is another thing that I guess I wanted to say off of that. Um, I'm trying not to lose it. But I think one of, like, this is kind of a separate thing, but it made me think about, about it when I was talking about that. Making decisions. Oh, because when I was talking about the meditation, I'm like, essentially, I chose to be doing this and helping people. Making major decisions in life. Uh, back when, to take it back to when I was 21 and I was back in that, you know, apartment, I knew for whatever reason, I don't know if it was my gut feeling or whatever, I knew that the the next few decisions that I made were going to alter the trajectory of my life, for better or worse. If I move this way, I could go off and I could be great and I can have a good attitude and I can help people. If I move this way, I could be a not so great guy. I could be a mean guy. And I can use my words to, to tear down and destroy. Thankfully, I was able to you know, get through it and use my words to you know, build up and empower others. I try to. And so in those moments, I, when I'm going to make a major decision, I actually ask myself um, two things. First things first, if I want to make a decision that is big on my life, can I 
handle this decision financially. That's the first thing, because we all have to be able to eat and, you know, put a roof over our heads and all those things. Now, what does that mean exactly? I don't mean that, you know, for every, everybody, it's different for everybody, but I don't mean like I have to be able to have a, you know, filet mignon on the freaking table. No, like, can I just have enough to be surviving? When I was in law school, my friends used to call me the peanut butter and jelly king, okay? Because that's all I was eating for the longest time, you know? But it's like, all right, you can do that. And then the next question, which is more important, the most important is, can you handle this emotionally? Now, what does that mean? Because it's, it's different for everybody, right? It's subjective. Can you handle this decision emotionally? Like, what I tell my, I ask myself is, if the worst thing was to happen, within reason, right? Um, I think overall the worst thing that could happen, sometimes it's just death. Like you just can't predict that. But within reason, right? When you make this decision, what's the worst thing that could happen? And if it does happen, can you handle it without causing severe emotional damage to yourself or someone else? Can you do it? Now, that's also very subjective. It's you got to ask yourself. And you have to be real with yourself in those moments. If the answer to both of those questions is yes, I do it. If the answer to one of those questions is no, I don't. And that is just the way it is. And it, 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 it can be a tough thing, but you have to be honest with yourself, with yourself in those moments. And when I was 21, asking myself those questions, trying to pick up the pieces and start my life over, um, you know, when I was going through this whole, I had a name change back then. I was named after my father um, back then. Um, and I was like, well, can you do this financially? Well, I was a broke college student. I really couldn't do anything financially. But so I was like, all right, well, you might as well try. And then I was like, okay, well, can you handle this new thing emotionally? What's the worst that could possibly happen? And if it happens, can you handle it? And I thought that I could, so I did. I want to tell people out there, just know the worst may happen. It has happened to me before. The worst has happened. And I'm like, holy shit, to be honest. But remember, though, in that moment when the worst thing happens, you've already done it. Because you've already visualized the success. You know you can get through it already because you already thought about it. You're like, I will be here right now in this terrible situation if it all went bad. And it did. And then you saw yourself on the other side still coming out of it. So you've already done it. It's pain. The pain is temporary. You will get through it. And I'm not saying you can't cry when you can, you know, when you do it. I'm not saying you can't scream into your pillow. All of All of that is perfectly valid. And for all of the men out there who have been told, you know, men can't cry bullshit, bullshit. All right. You can do it. You can feel how you feel. Express yourself. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned throughout my life, especially coming up on the east side of Detroit where the culture is just different. Um, And, you know, for black men, especially, you know, it's one of those things. What are you crying? What are you crying for? We don't cry. We don't. And it's like, oh, I wish that when I was, I wish that's one of the biggest things I wish like somebody was just like, you know, that's cool, man. You can have these feelings, whatever. Like, if you feel this way, why are you holding this thing? Because it's just going to come out later in rage and anger anyway. And so now at 21, I'm finally addressing how I deal with pain as opposed to when I'm six or something. You know, so 
Yeah, I don't know. That was that's a little off of what we were saying, but I just wanted to get that out there because you know it came to my mind. No, preach. <laughs> we love to hear it. I am all about that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Mental Health Matters with Operation Happiness. We are thankful you are willing to speak with us about your personal journey. For those who want to hear more from Riley, please check him out on Instagram at Riley D Christian. Stay tuned for our next season coming up. As always, stay tuned, stay excited, and let's get stress relieving. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.